Well, good morning, Axis Church. How's everybody doing? Good to see everybody. Let's just hope that you are a little livelier than first hour. I think they were still like, we should be in bed. It's raining. And so hopefully you guys are ready to go and you're alive and ready and excited about worship uh, today. I, several years ago, I heard a story about a CEO of a company and his wife who were driving in New England and they were vacationing and they had to stop by and get some gasoline. And when they did that, it was a full service gas station. The husband went in to pay the bill. And as he came out, his, he noticed that his wife was in a conversation with the guy who was pumping gas. And uh, he just gets back in the car. And then as she opens the door, he overhears her name, the guy by name, and they ended up laughing together. She gets in the car. That leads to a few awkward moments. And the husband goes, who was that? And she goes, that was the guy that I was engaged to prior to getting married to you. And I have not talked to him since we broke up. That led to several miles of silence. And finally, the husband, after kind of thinking through the situation, he spoke up and said, you know what? If you would have married him, you'd be married to a gas station attendant today. You know what she said right away, without hesitation? She said, no, if I had married him, he'd be the CEO and you'd be pumping my gas. <laughs> and we all need a little humility, don't we? And he certainly did. And that's what we're going to talk about today is being humble, staying humble. All of us, the truth is, need humility. That's the truth. But you know what I've learned? It's very difficult to see pride in ourselves. It's very difficult to see pride in the mirror. It's easy to see in somebody else. It's easy to see it in the narcissist. It's easy to see in somebody that maybe is well-known and they puff up their chest. And we can all see, well, that person is somebody who has an issue with pride. But it's very difficult to see that pride in ourselves. Can you see pride in the dad who never says, I'm sorry? Or the mom who has to always be right? Can you see pride in the employer who does not allow creativity on the team? Or the coworker who steals credit for your idea? Can you see pride for the friend who subtly puts people down in order to build himself up? Or the customer who's always impatient and demands attention? Can you see pride in the spouse who makes you feel like you never measure up? Or the person who just seems to make everybody else around them walk on eggshells? Can you see pride in the parent who is more likely to criticize the child than compliment them? Friends, we all need humility. And I'll tell you when that is most important is when we, we were on the receiving end of being criticized. Or if you are in the middle of suffering or some challenge in your life, in that context, it's even more difficult to be humble in that moment. And that is the context at which the Apostle Paul writes a letter to a city, a group of people in a city called Philippi. And he writes these words in Philippians chapter 1. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had and now hear that I still have, whatever happens in your life, 
conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, not only are you able to believe in him, that's the beneficial part, but also you're going to suffer. And by the way, that's the beneficial part that you get the honor of suffering on behalf of Christ. And in the middle of that context, that is when the Apostle Paul says that we are to be humble. It's the context of criticism. It's the context of suffering. And when you are suffering and when you're being criticized, that is when you need to be on your guard. That's when you need to protect yourself and be and live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that is true when you were at home with your spouse. That is true in your relationships. That is true when you interact with those who disagree with you. That is true when you're trying to make a point or you're trying to express an idea. It's true at work. It's true at the church. And that is how we are all to follow Jesus. And that is in the mentality and the practice of humility. And by the way, humility is not weakness. Jesus was the most humble ever. How many of you in here today want to say Jesus Christ was weak? Anybody? Jesus Christ was the strongest ever. He was not a doormat. He didn't let everybody walk all over him. Jesus was not weak, but he was the most humble one ever. Jesus was all about, however, raising other people up. He was all about building other people up. Even though he was the all-time greatest ever, he took on the role of a servant, and he said that I'm going to spend my life building others up, raising others up. It has been said Strong people don't put others down, they lift them up. And because humility is a tough idea to conceptualize, like how do you teach on humility? Five principles on humility, here's three ways to make your life better by being humble. I just thought of an acronym, and I'm going to use the word lift because that's what we want to do. We want to lift other people up in a very practical way. And so I made an acronym based on those letters, L-I-F-T, so that maybe you'll remember them today. Because humility is all about lifting others up. It's all about doing what Jesus did. And this is how Paul describes what we're to do in Philippians chapter 2. Right on the heels of saying, you will suffer, so conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Here's what he writes. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. How many of you are encouraged today because you're united with Christ? Anybody in here? You're encouraged because God has united yourself with him through Christ. And if you have any comfort from his love. Anybody in here comforted because of God's love for you? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If you're comforted by that, if you have fellowship with his spirit, if you have tenderness and compassion, then Make my joy complete by being like-minded, have the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. In other words, if God has done all this for you, how can you not help but to have an attitude of humility and an attitude of teamwork and an attitude of said, we're going to be together in this, an attitude of unity. And so the L in lift is, is this, let go of your desire to win. If you're going to start by saying, how can I lift other people up? It begins by saying, I have to let go of my desire to always be right. I have to let go of my desire to always control, to always try to figure out a way to make other people bend to my desires. If I am going to lift people, it starts right there. And Paul writes it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. 
If you're going to lift other people up, then you have to start by letting go of something. You have to let go of your desire to always win, win the argument, win the point, control the situation, make everybody do as you say. You have to let go of that desire within you. If you're going to lift people, you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And that's difficult because we all want to be liked. We all want our opinion to count. We all want what we say. We all want what we say to matter. And it's hard to be humble. It's hard to be humble. This past week after staff meeting, Jess, uh, Josh's wife, was real excited. She, you know, have you guys seen these reels we've been doing on Instagram where it's like a 30 to 45 second uh, clip of our message? And JB, uh, he takes some uh, sound that he has created, some music he's composed, and he puts it underneath the message. And it's like, wow, I didn't think that sermon was that great, but put that music behind it. That's pretty cool. That really sounds good. And, and so the first week, they tried it out. They had Josh speak, and it was great, and it was just really motivating. And then they had me speak the next week, and it sounded better than it actually did live. And I was like, that's, that's pretty good. And Jess came in, and she said, hey, listen, your reel this past week, it's the second week we did it, got 2,500 views. I'm like, 2,500 views? That's a lot of views. People must love me. That's what I'm thinking. Like, that must have been a really good message. And then she said, now Josh, I'm like, oh, here it comes. His first week, he's now up to 7,600 views. 7,600 views. And I just imagine Josh in his office just pushing the button over and over and over, you know, <laughs> 7,600 times. Like, that is amazing, right? And then she qualified it and said, oh, oh, by the way, I think the first week they promoted it more because it was our first week ever doing it. And yours was awesome. You know, Jess is always encouraging. Anybody ever been elated and deflated in the same moment, right? And, and the, you know what? The truth is, if you guys know me, I, I, I want jo Josh's video to get 75,000 views, you know? I, I want his to get as many as possible. You know why? Because we want, we want ultimately Jesus to win, right? I mean, it's about what people see and receive. And, and the truth is, I want to be the biggest champion for those on my team. I want to be the biggest supporter of those who are, who are doing good work for the cause of Christ. But it is hard to be humble. John Ortberg one time wrote, we'd like to be humble, but what if nobody notices? And that's the challenge. What if nobody sees it? What if nobody recognizes it? But friends, the older I get, the more I want people to win. The more I want to celebrate gains in another person and in their life. And in order to do that, you've got to let go. We, we all want to do well, but we have to say, I want them to win. And it's interesting because sometimes people will come out and they'll make a comment and they'll say something like this. They'll say, that was the best message that you gave last week. And they'll quote it verbatim almost. And I'm like, that was Josh who preached that? But I don't actually want to say that. You know, I'm like, hey, yeah, that was a good point, wasn't it? And I thought it was one of my best ever. You know, appreciate that. No, the truth is you're like, hey, you know what? That, Josh said that. And in the end of the day, it doesn't even matter. Because God gets the credit. 
Make it your goal to lift other people up today. Who in your life today can you say, I want to celebrate what you're doing. I want to champion what you're doing in your life. I want you to just continue to be elevated. And as you are lifted, as your level is raised, then we're going to celebrate that together. But in order to do that, you got to let go of something. you got to let go of that ego. you got to go let go of that pride. you got to let go of that desire to always be first. The second thing you have to do is invest in the interests of others. I invest. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Now, does he say don't look at your interests at all? No. He says don't look just to your interests, but look to the interests of others. First, you've got to let go, but then you've got to invest in. You have to say, I'm going to invest in people. I'm going to find somebody to encourage today. I'm going to find out what what they're interested in and and how I can build them up. And the conversation will not always revolve around me or my ideas. No, I want to find out about them and their ideas. I want to find ways to invest in their interests. In his book, Hero Maker, Dave Ferguson tells about a marathon runner, Shailene Flanagan. Are you all familiar with her? For the first time in 40 years, an American woman won the New York City Marathon. Shalane Flanagan crossed the finish line in a blistering two hours and 26 minutes, but the New York Times carried this story. And they said about her that maybe there's something greater than her ability to run. And they write, perhaps Flanagan, is be- is bigger, her bigger accomplishment lies in nurturing and promoting the rising talent around her, a rare quality in the cutthroat world of elite sports. Every single one of her training partners, all 11 of them in total, have made it to the Olympics while training with her. An extraordinary feat. They call it the Shalane Effect. You you serve as a rocket booster for the careers of women who work alongside of you while catapulting yourself forward. Shailene has pioneered a new brand of team mom to these young up-and-comers with the confidence not only not to tear others down and to protect her place in the hierarchy, but instead to build them up. Shailene is not just a great runner. She's a great runner who makes everybody else around her better. And in in fact, I saw an interview with her by NBC, and she said this, winning is great. But having a positive effect around you in the circle and how you affect people is better. And it's great to be a great runner, but it's more important to be a good person because if I elevate them, I elevate me. Isn't that great? I believe that when we elevate people, we elevate their family. When we elevate people, we elevate the community. When we elevate people, we elevate the church. And when we elevate people, we elevate society. People today seem bent on tearing other people down. They just do. It seems like the conversations that are had, the kind of approach that people are taking, is to shut a person down, cancel that person, not have a conversation. We live in the world of sound bites. And sometimes I will have people say to me, Stephen, Why don't you weigh in on this or that or the other on some type of social media format? There's a lot going on in the world. And and to be honest with you, that's a bit of a conflict for me because I do feel like in the role of a spiritual leader, I should weigh in on certain things from time to time. But there's a lot to weigh in on these days. And I just have determined that 
while I might do that occasionally, there might be an occasion where I'll do that, I reserve that right, most of the time I don't do it. I just have found that I really am probably not going to influence too many people through uh, 26 characters or less or make a point in some way because people will put me in one camp or another immediately and we won't have the opportunity to talk about it. So sometimes in here and mostly just one-on-one, I look for the opportunity to tell people if they want what I think and then listen to what they think. And we can actually have a conversation about it. And afterwards, when it's all over, we can still love each other and we might even disagree on some things. But in the end of the day, we're better for it. Why? Because I just think that people learn best in the context of relationship. I just think that the idea of building other people up is more of a value today for me. I want to raise people up, and that is so countercultural. Gary Izzo tells about his daughter, Jennifer, returning home from school one day. She was so joyful. She wanted to tell her dad about playing kickball, and she was chosen as one of the captains that day to be able to choose a team. And right before she chose her team, she decided that she would do it counter-culturally. The other guy, he chose the best of the best, Dennis He said, Dennis, you're the best player. You can be on my team. Then Jennifer said, I'll pick Dory. And everybody gasped in shock. Dory is the worst kickball player in the entire class. And the other guy chooses the next best player. Dory chooses the next worst player. She's so happy about it when she gets home. She's like, Dad, we got absolutely clobbered. And I'm so happy about it. It was so great. We took the field. And we did so bad, we didn't even get our turn to kick. We just were out there in the field. But by giving those non-athletes the thrill of being chosen first, Jennifer experienced the joy that comes from valuing the preciousness of others. And that is so countercultural. Every person in this world, regardless what they believe, is created by God. And my job, I believe, is to try to encourage or build a relationship or build a bridge And I know not everybody wants to have a conversation. Not everybody wants those things that I want. And that's okay too. But my job is to say, how can I find a way to look at their interest? The New Testament tells us repeatedly to think of one another, love one another, don't judge one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, and encourage one another. And there's no better way to show the Spirit of Christ than to think of others more highly than you do yourself. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve. And that's what Jesus does. So let go, invest in, and then follow F. Follow the example of Christ. Verse 5 says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus is not just our Lord, he is our leader. And as our leader, he is our example. And we are to imitate him. If you love Christ, you do what Christ did. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ is not just our Lord, he is our leader. He literally poured himself out. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He left the glory of heaven and entered our world. 
He entered the smelly stable. He left the company of angels for the company of men. How far Jesus traveled from heaven to the cross, from robes to rags, from being served to serving others, from the splendor of heaven to the cobblestones of the walkway to the cross. And why did he do all of that? He did it because of his great love for us. He did it because he wanted to humble himself so that he could lift us up. That is the heart of what it means to follow Jesus, to lose our life in order to save it, to be emptied of self in order to be filled with him and his passion for others. And he taught us the very essence of humility. It's self-sacrifice. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. He sacrificed himself to save us. And when they lowered him from the cross, he lifted us out of sin. And it is on the cross that we learn the true nature of humility. And that is that at the heart of humility is God's great love. Jesus, our Lord and leader, one time knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. He took on the role of a servant and he told us, now that I've done this, you go and do the same. Jesus said, now, go multiply this effect. Go serve other people. And you say, yeah, but that's just people who agree with us, right? That's just people who see the world the same way we do, right? No, because in that room, he washed the feet of Judas Iscariot, who already had betrayed Jesus, who already had decided that he was going to turn Jesus in. And Jesus still knelt down and cared for him. Let go of your desire to win. Invest in the interests of others and follow the example of Christ. And then T, trust God for the results. Verse 9 says, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ was obedient, he humbled himself, and because he was willing to pay the price, he then will be exalted. The Father gave him a name, Jesus, that is above every name, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God took his sacrifice and now is elevating Christ to his right standing, his right place, King of kings and Lord of lords. And by the way, every knee's going to bow. Those who play for the Live Golf Tournament, their knee's going to bow. Those who play for the PGA, their knee's going to bow. Those who are the best singers ever, Beyonce, her knee's going to bow. Those who sing in a local bar and nobody ever comes, their knee's going to bow. And everybody at the highest of heights and the lowest of lows, and everybody and every human who's ever been created, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord, that he's the king. Then, friends, don't miss that principle. God rewards the humble. He rewards those who are not proud. He elevates those who are willing to say, I'm here to serve. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We too often live in the right now, and we forget that there's a not yet. We forget that one day Christ is going to return, and every knee will bow, and one day we will be ushered into our heavenly home. And at that point, we look forward to the greatest words ever spoken, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your rest. And Christ will say, come on into heaven. You're now home. I know it was hard. I know you were suffering. I know you were criticized. But guess what? Now today, you're going to serve Christ and love him and be in heaven with him for all of eternity. I love the story that Ray Stedman tells about many, many generations ago of a missionary couple that was returning from Africa in the days of uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And it happened that after years of service that they came back on the same ship as President Roosevelt, who was returning from a big game hunting uh, expedition in Africa. And when they pulled into the harbor, New York, there was a band that was the, playing the president's favorite songs. And all the high officials of the city were there to meet him. But this missionary couple who had been serving the Lord in Africa for all these years was now coming home. They slipped by unnoticed. They ended up renting a rundown flat on the east side of New York. The man was utterly crushed and said to his wife, it's not fair. It's not fair. Here we are. We don't have any money. We don't know who's going to take care of us or where we're going to go. God has promised great things, but nothing's happening. We've given him everything we've got. And what has he done for us? But just look at what happens to the president when he comes home. And his wife said to him, dear, I know it doesn't seem fair. Why don't you go into the bedroom and talk to the Lord about it and see what he has to say? So the missionary husband went in and he knelt by the bed alone and he was there a long time. But when he came out, his face was changed. His countenance was changed. She said, what happened? He said, I got down on my knees and I poured out the whole story to the Lord. And I told him that I thought it was unfair. And I told him that he was treating us wrong. But you know what the Lord said to me? It was almost as though I could hear his voice. He leaned down and said, but listen, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. There's a homecoming that's coming, but it's not yet. And those of you today are in this room and you think, I'm struggling, I'm suffering, I don't get the ills of this world, I don't understand what's going on. And and just remember, you're created for another world. And you're not home yet. And one day you're going to enter heaven and on the other side it's going to make a lot more sense than it does today. And in the meantime, God just says, look, would you lead out by lifting other people up? Would you just let go of your desire to be the winner all the time and let go of that desire to be first and control the situation? And why don't you invest in other people? Why don't you look for their interests? Why don't you build them up? Seek ways to encourage them. And then follow the example of Christ, who's the ultimate server of all time, who gave his very best by kneeling down and washing the feet of the disciples, by giving the greatest sacrifice ever and sacrificing himself so that then others could be lifted out of their sin and then trust God for the results. Because God knows what's going to happen in the end of the day. And that's what we celebrate today. Let's make that our goal, to lift and encourage other people. God, we thank you so much for your love today for us. Thank you, God, for the fact that you've sacrificed for us. Thank you that Christ came, gave us all. And God, now we take the principles that we learn from the scripture. And and it doesn't mean we're not strong people. It doesn't mean that we don't have our opinions. It doesn't mean that we don't have our beliefs. It doesn't mean that we don't share those beliefs or talk to others about those. But what it does mean 
is that we do it in the right spirit, in the right attitude. We do it in a way that stands on our principles, but stands in love. We do what the Bible says. We speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. We do it in a way that's compassionate. And all the while, we continue to look for people in our circle of influence, and we find ways to lift them up because everybody needs to be encouraged. Everybody needs to be uh, lifted. Everybody needs a bit of hope today. And so God, help us as your people to be able to give that kind of hope as we lift other people. We pray that you would receive the honor, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.